0: For listening to Sozo Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information on Sozo Church, visit Sozospokane.com. Sozo Church. Good morning, Sozo. How's everybody doing this morning? Awesome. I pray you're doing well. My name is Mark. Uh, My wife and I serve as the lead pastors here at uh, Sozo Church, and we are super excited that y'all decided to come and hang out with us this morning. So thanks for being here. Um, As you could probably guess from that video, we are in the midst of a series. as a church, as a a community of people uh, in the midst of a series through the Gospel of John. This is an amazing, uh, amazing book. This is an amazing uh, account of the life of Jesus. And uh, we're we're excited to study through it together. We've been in it for a few years. I said we would be in it for a few years and we're barely into it after a few years. So either I'm doing my job really, really good or not. And so uh, I'm choosing to believe that I'm doing my job really well and... uh, and I hope you are too. So uh, we're we're going to go ahead and and get started this morning. But before I jump into um, everything for the, the text, rather for, for this morning, I want to go ahead and take us back. Uh, a few weeks ago, I I took us toward the end of the book of John to remind us why John said he wrote this this eyewitness account, this um, this 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 custom designed little uh, uh, um, layout of the life of Jesus. He said he did that that we might believe upon Christ, that we might come to know who Jesus is and put our faith and our trust and our reliance in him. This morning, what I want to do before we get to the text in John chapter 6, I want to actually take us back and, uh, and, and take us to John chapter 1. So I'm going to re-preach everything I've preached. So hopefully you guys had a good big breakfast. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but I do, wanna, I do wanna just point out something. So John chapter one, uh, we're gonna go to John chapter one, verse nine. John one, nine. I wanna just read a few quick things here to remind us sort of how John opened his book because I think there's a lot of parallels in how John opened his book and sort of what he laid out and what we're gonna hear today. Uh, if you've ever taken a public speaking course, you know that one of the things that they'll teach you is that you should tell people what you're gonna tell people, tell people then what you're telling them and then remind them what they just told them. And John sort of does that a little bit in his gospel, and he does this in this layout here. So this is John chapter 1, verse 9. I think we're gonna read through about verse 13 here, unless I change my mind. It says, the true light, speaking of Jesus, which gives light to everyone, has come into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, So so John here is laying out the coming of Jesus, why Jesus has come to earth. He says that he, he came to us. He came into the world as the light of the world. He came as the creator of all things. This is establishing that Jesus is God. Jesus comes to his own creation, but all of creation doesn't recognize him. And so he comes specifically to a group of people that he had called out amongst all the other people, a people that were his own people. If anyone was going to recognize him, certainly his people would recognize him. But the scriptures here tell us that no, they did not recognize him. They couldn't receive him. And so Jesus comes, he's unrecognized, he's unreceived by his own people. But then he says that, that even though his, that, that general creation and even his own specific people didn't receive him, there was a group that received him. And those people he received, he welcomes them. Those people are born, he says, not because they decided to, not because they, they willed it to happen, but because God had destined this to happen. God had chosen them in the midst of this. And so I want you to remember that layout. Remember that sort of structure as we make our way through the text this morning that we're going to get to. But before I can even get to the text, I have to lay one more little little foundational element. Last week, you guys got to learn Greek, and two of you were excited about it. Two of you were so excited, you were so happy. This week, I get to teach you a theological term that you'll never use again. Yes. Aren't you excited? That theological term is soteriology. No, it's not a dish from Germany. Soteriology, everybody say soteriology. Soteriology. How many of you think I spelled it wrong? Soteriology, that's, this is one of those words, the more you look at it, the more it looks like it's spelled wrong. Soteriology is a, is a complicated, uh, fancy theological doctrinal term. Now, I've, I personally believe that it's the job of theologians to make complicated things simple. Amen? But often the work of theology makes really simple things complicated. <laughs> And and this is one of those times where we're getting into zooming into something. Soteriology, if you want to, to, to write down a definition, soteriology is the study or the doctrine of salvation in Jesus. That's soteriology. It's, it's the study of the salvation that comes from and in and through Christ. And I bring this up because we're going to be diving into a subject this morning that I think we, we need to understand is, is sort of getting to some very nuanced approaches in this area of soteriology. Everybody say soteriology, just because, you, again, you're never going to have to say this word ever again. So you might as well say it here this morning, because it's fun. So we're, we're looking at soteriology this morning, and in this study through the Gospel of John, in John chapter 6. If you've got your Bible still out, go ahead and now fast forward from John chapter 1 to John chapter 6, verse 32 John six thirty two. Um, we're gonna we're gonna dive in here together. Once you got that, we go ahead and stand to your feet for the second reading, I suppose, of God's word. Should have had you do it back then, but didn't want to make you stand too long. Heaven forbid you burn calories at church. John chapter six. We're gonna read some Bible this morning. Who's excited? We're going to get through some scripture this morning together, so I'll I'll read fast if you listen fast. Uh, Just to give context really, really briefly in case you haven't been with us or you're unfamiliar with where we are in the story of the life of Jesus, Jesus has fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish, the lunch of a little boy. He's he's fed 5,000 people with this. Because of this, a huge crowd has come to him demanding that he continue to feed them. They want to make him king because they think, hey, this guy will give us all the free food we ever want for life. This is a good king. We should make him king. He'll keep feeding us. Jesus then is explaining to them in this dialogue we're about to jump into that that he does not want to give them bread, but rather he wants to be for them bread. Bread. He wants to be the bread that sustains them himself. And so we pick up now in this first dialogue and then jump to the sermon that he preaches, and we'll see that here in a moment. John chapter 6, verse 32 says, Jesus then said to them, "'Truly, truly, I say to you, "'it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, "'but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. "'For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven "'and gives life to the world.'" They said to him, catch this, they said to him, "'Sir, give us this bread always.'" Verse 35, "'Jesus said to them, "'I am the bread of life. "'Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, "'and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. "'But I said to you that you have seen me "'and yet do not believe.'" All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, and I will raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread of life, or I am the bread that comes down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know, how does he now say, is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. For, verse 49, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that, no, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread. I have come down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed amongst themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, truly, truly I say to you, unless you eat my, the, the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life not like the bread your fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, these are those people that are, are following Jesus. These are, these are Jesus in crowd. These are those that, that have bought into Jesus and like Jesus and, and given up things to follow Jesus. It says, when his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? And Jesus knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling. so The the, the Jews were grumbling, the disciples were grumbling. You talking with this? Knowing that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is a spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who it was that did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Let's pray together, church. Holy Spirit, we thank you this morning for your word. God, I thank you that your word is alive and active and living. God, I thank you that you give us the ability to hear your word supernaturally and that you breathe life upon your word by your spirit, and that's what we're asking for here today. Lord, we, we receive your word. You, you say in your word that the flesh profits nothing, that the spirit must be at work, so, so Holy Spirit, we come and we ask that you be at work in the midst of this moment, this time together here today. Holy Spirit, come and breathe life upon what we've heard. Come and give us the ability to hear and receive. Grant to us, God, the ability to receive what it is that you would say. Lord, I ask, especially this morning, that you give me the ability to to communicate articulately what it is that you have said in your word. God, that we would turn our attention to it, be diligent to, to understand what it says, not what we want it to say, not what we don't want it to say but that we would receive from you what it is that you would speak. Because we know in receiving that, God, our our lives are transformed, our thoughts and our intentions and our our perception and our perspective and the filters by which we see the world are altered to be more true to what is real. And that's what we want today, God. We want to be transformed to look more like you. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Go ahead and high five five or ten people and go ahead and grab a seat. So this morning is, is one of those kinds of mornings. We have these occasionally here as we study through something like this that, that something interesting happens in the text. And, and, and it leads us to, to sort of two things. And, and that is first, this is a sermon you notice in, in, in the text it says that Jesus was saying all of this in the synagogue. A synagogue was a, a religious gathering place for the Jewish people. And so, so Jesus is essentially preaching a sermon in a religious gathering as he sort of unpacks this truth about himself. And so what that means is I, I can't really preach a sermon on a sermon so we really just need to have a Bible study about the sermon that Jesus already had. So, so essentially what we're going to do this morning is have Sozo Church's biggest belong group. And we're just going to kind of have a, a Bible study together. And I, I also say that because this is really the kind of topic and text that I, I wish that we could just sit down together and, and dialogue over whatever particular beverage you would prefer to dialogue over and be able to discuss sort of the nuances of this text and, and sort of dive into it, because we're gonna get into something here this morning that, that I think is, is vitally important for us to wrestle with and grapple with, but I wanna be super clear. We have chosen as a community of people to, to be willing to disagree about some things and willing to divide over some things, there are things as a church that we would say, if you disagree with us on this issue, that this is probably not the church you want to belong to and be a part of. If you don't think that this is the, the, the living, active, breathing word of God, then I love you and we, we love you and, and, and you're welcome to hang out here as long as you want, but that's not something we're gonna discuss about whether or not it is or isn't. We're gonna declare that it is, amen? Amen. I thought at least six people that were members here would, would give me a little more agreement than that. But whatever, no, 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 we're fine, whatever. Um, so, so you know, we, 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 we're, not gonna, we're not gonna disagree with each other on that. We're gonna gather around that together and say, no, this is the word of God. What we're about to deal with this morning and what is it we're gonna deal with? We're gonna deal with soteriology. Say it one more time isn't it great soteriology okay so, so what we're going to deal with here is one of these issues that we're willing to disagree with each other on you don't have to agree with, with, with everybody in this room and, and really when we talk about soteriology there's, there's sort of two big camps and for all of the theology nerds in the room you're like there's a lot more camps than that and everybody else is there's two really and so just both of you calm down so, so the two main camps sort of go under many different names, uh, but, but the majority of people would say that, that one camp would, would be called the Reformed camp and one would be called the Non-Reformed camp, or one would be called the Calvinistic camp and one would be called the Arminian camp. And both of those titles, Calvinism and Arminianism, are stupid titles. I love you. They're stupid because we don't worship Calvin. Nobody worships, well, no Christian worships Calvin. And no Christian worships Joseph Arminius. These are just guys that sort of encapsulated uh, theological positions on soteriology. Everybody say soteriology. Uh, they encapsulate those, and those people that would say, "Oh, I, I, when somebody would say, well, I'm a Calvinist, what they mean is not they worship Calvin. Calvin did not die for anybody's sins. Arminius did not die for anybody's sins. Okay, we don't worship them. What they mean is, hey, I sort of agree with the perspective that they have on this area of soteriology. Soteriology. So I sort of agree with the way they encapsulated that. Now, their other names would would be, you know, once saved, always saved, and you can lose your salvation. One other way you could say is like right and wrong. Um, (laughs) Oops. Um, I really mean they're open-handed. So. uh, now, the, the reason why we, we hold these things to be open-handed is because we could, one of these groups is right and one of these groups is wrong, amen? amen. One of these groups is right. You, you cannot, you, if you really dive into these things, one cannot be, or, or one's mostly right and one's mostly wrong, right? I mean, that's the, the way it is. But you can be saved believing either one of these things. You, you can't be saved and deny the deity of Christ. Okay, it's impossible. It's fundamental truth that you have to, to believe. But you, you, you get down into these, the nuances of the difference between the reform and the non-Reformed perspective. One says this, that, that God is the one who chooses people and then they have to respond to his choosing them. The non reform perspective says people choose God and then he responds to them choosing him. That's ultimately, if you get down to the nuances of all of it, as simple as I can get it, that's the way it goes. And, and here's the thing, you can, you can be a part of this church and we wanna welcome you to be a part of this church if you believe either one of those things. Amen? Okay. And at the same time, we believe that works because I've seen it work in my own family. My wife and I don't agree on all of the the, the nuances of these issues. Our staff doesn't agree on the nuances of all these issues. Our elders don't agree on the nuances of all these issues. So certainly the the general membership of this church doesn't need to agree, amen? We all tracking together? Have I laid enough track down for you? And at the same time, here's what what I I wanna say. If you couldn't figure out already from my non-Freudian slip, I have, I have a perspective myself. I would fall in the area, listen to me carefully, in the area of soteriology, I would fall in the reform camp. Does that mean I agree with every reformed theological position there is out there? No, but when it comes to salvation, I believe that guys like Calvin and Luther and John Knox got it right in the way that they encapsulate what the scriptures say about, about salvation. And I say that because of this, while we certainly have open-handed issues, one of our, our closed-handed, our, our disagree issues is this. There is truth. Come on, somebody. There is truth. There is right and there is wrong. There is accurate and there is inaccurate. We are not a church who just says, hey, everything can be true all at the same time. Listen to me. I know it's super millennial hipster to say that contradictory statements can somehow be true, but it's, that's, that's, that's absolutely asinine. They, that's, that's fundamentally impossible, okay? Listen, I love you. You might've spent too much. You know how you know if you spent too much time on the internet? The earth is not flat. <laughs> if you're questioning that, shut the internet off your phone for like a good six months, okay? Just stay off the internet and don't be there anymore, okay? Because contradictory things can't be true. It's it's, it's fundamentally impossible. And so so here's here's why I, I say all of that. We are gonna dive into this text and I'm gonna do my best to present what I believe the text says. And I say that to say this, I'm not sharing my opinion, I'm sharing my interpretation. There's a huge difference. This is not what I want to be true. This is what I see in the text. Are you tracking with me? but at the same time, I'm not trying to convince you. I'm just trying to say, hey, look, you have to deal with what's in the text. Part of the reason why we study through books of the Bible is so that we, the the teaching pastors here, don't have the opportunity to just skirt around hard issues. We have to deal with what's in the text. And so what we see in this text is, is Jesus says that he has come to a people. He's, he's come to a people who've broken covenant with God. He's come to a people who've, who have rejected God, rejected their role as his people. And because God is faithful even when we are not faithful, amen, Jesus comes he comes to reveal the true nature of who God is to shatter their preconceived notions to 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 adjust their wrong images of God and he reveals to us the the reality of who God is that Jesus corrects everything that we have gotten wrong about the who and the how God is he corrects all of that and so be careful as you look to Jesus as you look to him be careful that you don't uh, that let me put it this way, that you don't try to Instagram Jesus. You don't talk about Instagram where you, you, you take the picture in just the right angle so that you look 10 pounds lighter. You, get, you, 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 you clear off all the junk in your house and you push it just out of frame. <laughs> and then you take the picture... I think we try to do that with Jesus sometimes. We try to try to move all the stuff that we don't like about him out of the way and sort of try to prop him up in the best light possible. Listen, Jesus does not need your Instagram filter. Okay, we need to receive Christ for who he is and, and allow the reality of who he is to be seen by us and let him, listen to me, let who he is change who we are. Let who he really is, not, not adding things that we think he should really have that he doesn't, and not taking away things that he shows us that just offend us. Look, the, the, the one consistent thing amongst everybody in this story outside of Jesus is everybody is confused and a little offended. So if you, as I read this story, were confused and a little offended, you're in the company of everybody else who heard the sermon for the first time. So I just wanna try to make our way through this. So if Jesus shows us, this is the way we do Bible studies, we ask questions of the text, Amen. So if Jesus is presenting himself here as the true bread, the true thing that's going to sustain and satisfy our souls, we say it this way around here, Jesus is better than everything. (laughs) Well, if Jesus is better than everything, here's a good question to ask. Why doesn't everybody want Jesus? If Jesus really is God, come down from heaven, the light of the world, then why doesn't everybody see that light? Why doesn't everybody respond to that light? Why doesn't everybody react to that light? Why doesn't everybody want to be a part of what he is doing and what he has accomplished for us? Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna walk through here. I wanna give you three reasons. I think three reasons why people do not receive Jesus. Are, are, you, are you good with tracking with that together? Bible study here together a little bit? Three reasons. The first, I'm gonna be honest, is not in this text, but I think we need to touch on it because we gotta to get to what's in the text, but we gotta to get to something else first. It's implied in the text. The first reason why people do not receive Jesus, they've never seen him. They've never seen Jesus. They've never seen him. They've never witnessed him. Romans 10, 14 through 15 says, how can anyone, how can anyone see him unless someone preaches the gospel to them? And how can they have the gospel preached to them if nobody's willing to preach? And how can people preach if they're not sent? So before we can get to all the nuances of of the nitty-gritty of salvation, let's get one thing clear. The gospel must be preached. And Paul says it can't be preached unless somebody's sent to preach. So listen, right now, we're gonna all agree on this if you're a Christian in the room. Here's the part we're all gonna agree on. You are sent to preach the gospel. to demonstrate it and to declare it. You don't get to pick one or the other. That means you have to preach the gospel and you have to live the gospel. That means you have to call people to become Christians, listen to me, and you have to act like one. Some of you only wanna do one of those things and the problem is both are required. You have to love your neighbor, but you also, listen to me, listen, you have to love your neighbor. For some of you, that's the hard part, I know. For some of you, loving your neighbor is hard. Some of you loving one of your neighbors is easy and one of your neighbors is hard, okay? Um, and, and, and that's the hard part. But here's the other thing. You have to love them. You have to demonstrate that love, but you also have to, when the opportunity comes, you have to tell them why. If they just, listen, if they just think you're a great neighbor because you're a great neighbor, you, we, we have failed, but if when they go like, man, you're, you're a great neighbor, you, you, know, you help out, you're, you're really kind, you're really uh, you know, considerate, you're, you're a good, great neighbor, and you go, yeah, you know why? Because Jesus. And you then have the opportunity to preach the gospel to them. I don't, I'm not a good neighbor because I'm a good citizen of America. I'm a good neighbor because I'm a citizen of heaven. And this is the way Jesus would call me to behave amongst my neighbors, and I would love the opportunity to, to, to share the truth of who Jesus is with you today. Okay, that's, that's, what we're, that's what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be demonstrating and declaring the gospel, both not, if, not one or the other, amen? So reason number one, why are people not saved? Let, okay, let me bury this where we live. Why is our country in the state that it's in? <laughs> because people haven't seen Jesus. Amen. Okay, they need to see Jesus. How are they gonna see Jesus? Us. Now we get into the text here. Second reason why, Jesus, why, why people have not put their faith in Christ is because the Father has not done the decisive work. Okay, and I need you to not get offended and track with me here for a second. Some of you in the room are like, yeah, totally get that, absolutely fine. You're good with that. But I, I wanna be clear. Jesus says something here that I can't just skirt around. Verse 44 of John chapter six is in the Bible. Here's what it says in case you forgot it no one can come to me jesus speaking unless the father unless the father who sent me draws him no one can come to the father unless no one can come to jesus unless the father draws them now i want i want us to i want us to track together in this because here's what i here's what i had happen as i've had this conversation with some of you and 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 others as well we get offended at this idea we get offended at the idea that God is the decisive one. Now we're gonna get to the fact that there's another piece to this puzzle, okay? So, so track with me where we are right now. And here's what I wanna say to you. I wanna, I wanna quote Jesus to you. Can I do that this morning? Yes. Jesus tells a parable in John chapter tw- I'm sorry, in Matthew chapter 20. We're gonna get to don't put it up on the screen yet, we'll get there in a second. John chapter 20, Jesus tells a parable. The parable is that, that this, this, this landowner hires people to do a job and agrees to pay them a certain wage. And then as the day goes on, he brings on more and more laborers, the Bible says. And at the end of the day, starting with those people that he brought in, at the very end of the day, he pays them the wage that he promised the first group. And so what do you think the first group started thinking? We're going to get even more. And he, he goes down the line, the, 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 the parable says, and he pays everyone the same wage. And the people that started at the beginning of the day got angry and got offended. And this is what this is what the, the Jesus says in the voice of the master. I think this is what he's saying this. Matthew chapter 20 verse 15. Can you throw that up there for me? Matthew 20 verse 15. And I'm reading this out of the old King James because I think it captures better what Jesus says. It says, "Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own?" Catch this last sentence. Is your eye evil because I'm good? Is your eye evil because I'm good? Recognize this. Jesus came to earth. We established this in the beginning. Jesus came to earth, the creator of all things. He came as the light of the world into the world, and the world, listen, rejected him, the scriptures tell us. Amen? He came to his own people, the people that you would expect to know him and his own people, rejected him. So in his goodness, God does the decisive work to save people. And it is incredible to me that one of the responses of the fallen nature of man is to get angry that he saved some people. Is your eye evil (laughs) because I'm good? Can I not do what I want with what is mine? How, How many people does God own on this planet? all of them, can he not do what he wills to that which he owns? See, we need to be careful here that we do not apply, again, a filter to who God is that matches what we want him to be. Because listen to me, he's good. And so in his goodness, he saves. In his goodness, he saves. I I, I use this term, he does the decisive work. He does the decisive work. Three things. The Father does three decisive things from this text. Three decisive acts the Father does from this text. First, in verse 37 through 38, he gives people to Jesus. If you remember that, he says, all the Father gives me. Amen? Amen? So the father does the decisive work. He gives some to Jesus. He he gives them to Jesus for saving. He says, the father has given me these and he's entrusted them to me to save them, to do the necessary work to bring about salvation and satisfaction and sustaining in their hearts and in their lives. He says, you've rejected me because, look, you, you can't come to me unless the father gives you to me. So the decisive work that the father does, first he gives some to Jesus the next decisive work the father does is he draws those that he gives, verse 44. He draws them to the son. And then the final decisive thing is he grants to those that he draws repentance and faith. That's verse 65. These are, these are words that Jesus uses, gives, draws, grants. He uses these words to describe the interaction that the father has with people as it relates to them coming to the son. Are you tracking with me? Are you tracking with me? Are we, are we together here? Okay, these are the things that that Jesus says that the Father is actively doing as he is is preparing these people for the Son. And so God has to do this decisive work. We cannot, according to this text, do this work. We are incapable of of being given to Jesus. We are incapable of drawing ourselves to Jesus this group of people that Jesus is speaking to would be the group of people you would expect to receive God they were gathered in the, the 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 equivalent in their day of a church god shows up to church that's a good day amen and they go nah that's that that's that's no we don't want him notice earlier they said they wanted the bread They want the bread, give us the bread, give us the benefits, give us the blessings. Just don't be that. (laughs) We want the blessings apart from the blesser. And Jesus answers him. the reason why that's your attitude is because the father hasn't drawn you, he hasn't given you to me. The reason that's your attitude is he hasn't, he's not drawing you to me. Your belly is drawing you to me. Sure, you want free food. But the Father is not in this work. I know that because he hasn't granted to you faith and repentance. You haven't turned from your old way and embraced me, so therefore I know that you're not that, which leads us nicely into this, the, the third and final reason why some, have, some don't receive Jesus' bread, and that is that they refuse to respond, receive, and rest in Jesus. They refuse to respond, receive, and rest in Jesus. Don't miss this, please. Yes, there is a necessary work that the Father has to do, but there is also an a, a absolute command for the people of God to respond to what he's doing. We say it this way. God is the decisive one. We are the dependent one. I don't think there's a contradiction in me saying God has to give, draw, and grant, and we have to respond. There's no contradiction there. Don't don't make a contradiction where there's not a contradiction. To all of my reform friends in the room, yes, people have to respond. The the reform perspective, the, the Calvinistic perspective, the right perspective, is not... Is, is not some weird version of duck, duck, damned that God just like goes around and is like, I pick you, I don't pick you. Like that's, that's, that's a bad, bad picture of the way, I'm sorry, the, a bad picture, I'm not really though, a bad picture of the way this works. There, there is the decisive work that the father does. And there is the dependent work now because of his decisive work that we do but that does not diminish our need to be dependent upon him. And this is why, listen, this is why I say we can disagree on this and you can still be saved. If you think you picked God, as long as you respond to him, you're still saved. I think you're wrong, but you're still saved. And so this is why this, this can be an area where we disagree because we're getting down into the nuances of some of these things. We're getting down into the nitty gritty of some of them. All of this, all of this must take place. His decisive work and our dependent work, or listen, this is where we have to agree. Both decisive and dependent work have to happen or else you are not saved. Now you can say you're the decisive one and he's the dependent one. But if if both of those things don't take place, then there can be no salvation for the people of God. So both of these things need to be at work. Both of these things have to take place. And now you might be saying here, well, that makes me uncomfortable because now I'm questioning my salvation. What if God didn't pick me? What if I, how do I know if I'm picked? Well, here's, here's, the, here's the, I'm gonna talk out of both sides of my head. There's part of me that's kind of okay with you questioning your salvation. I'm not gonna look at anybody when I say this, but some of you need to question your salvation. Because everybody else is. Um, so. I love you. Here's why I'm, I'm, I don't really have a problem with you questioning your salvation because Paul said you should test yourself to see if you're actually in the faith, which means there are some people who think they are and they're not. And it's not loving or kind or right or good for me as a pastor to just kind of pat you on the head as you walk yourself to hell. So it's not bad to question your salvation because if you are, come on, then it will only, if you test it, if you test it, if you are, it'll only reinforce the fact that you are. And if you're not, it will only give you an opportunity to get saved. But let me get into this here a little bit. You go, I don't know if I'm, if I'm, really, if I'm really chosen. Well, let me ask you a question. Do you feel drawn to Christ? Do you feel the, 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 the gift that he's given to, to reject, to, to admit and abandon the old life that you used to live and embrace him to find satisfaction and saving and, and, and sustenance in him? Well, then that's the evidence, according to this text, that you've been given to Jesus. Plus, even if I'm wrong, Jesus says in verse 37 that he won't cast out anyone who comes to him. So either way, you're good. (laughs) We're still friends, right? Okay, good. Now, unless this is misconstrued as we look into this text, misconstrued into some weird, like, again, duck, duck, damned kind of thing, and God just does it, it's clear from the text that Jesus says, I will receive all who come. Come to me, which means everyone who comes to Jesus, I know this is really deep, wants to come to Jesus. Okay, this is the necessary piece of all this. Those who come to Christ want to come to Christ. There's no contradiction here. You have to be given, you have to be drawn, you have to be granted, and you have to receive and believe and to use Jesus' words, eat have to do that. Both of these things must take place. So Jesus then is showing them ultimately. I think this is an area we can agree on whether you disagree with my interpretation of that or not. I think this is an area we can all agree on. Jesus is ultimately showing them that they cannot trust their race or their the region they're from or even the religion that they ascribe to. But they must be they must be redeemed and they must be regenerated. This was a group of people that thought they were already in. They were already a part of the people of God. They were already in the group. And Jesus comes to him and goes, no, you're not. You you can't trust, well, just because I was born in America that I'm a Christian. I've shared this story before. I was sitting on an airplane uh, next to a guy, and and, and he asked me the question that he regretted instantly after he asked it. (laughs) What do you do for a living? It's like, oh, buddy, here we go. So literally while he was drinking his whiskey, I said, well, I'm a pastor, a pastor at church. So should we do this now or later? <laughs> I think that flight was like three hours. I'm good whenever you are. And he goes, well, what do you mean? I said, well, I, I got I to gotta, I gotta make the pitch. You know, I got I to gotta tell you about Jesus. And he goes, no, no, it's okay, man. I'm a Christian. I'm from Texas. I'm from Washington, but I'm not an apple. That doesn't make any sense, bro. Like, that does, like, that's not a, that's, that, that's not a thing. Like, he's like, no, like, everyone's a Christian in the South. I'm like, oh, okay, we're going. And so we had a fun conversation for a while until he said he was done and put his headphones in. Um, <laughs> it was a fun day for me. Okay, you, your your race or where you were born or what, or what, cultural religion you ascribe to is not enough. It's not enough. It's not sufficient. I'm not saying it's bad or good. I'm, I'm not even going there. I'm saying it's insufficient. It's not enough. Jesus is pointing out to these people, look, he's saying, I'm the bread. You have to come to me You have to eat my flesh, he gets gets offensive. He literally tells them you have to eat my body and drink my blood. And all the little good Jewish boys go peace and dip out. They're like, nope, yeah, nope. I knew this was a cult, my mom was right. (laughs) Stuff got weird fast. I showed up for the all you can eat breadsticks and now he wants me to drink blood, I'm good. And they get offended by this. And Jesus is telling them, look, this is the only way. This is the only way. This is it. He, he lays this out for them. So let me just very, very, very quickly, as fast as I can, let me just encapsulate all this to try to help us understand tying John 1 to this passage in John 6, the, 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 the layout that he gives in John chapter 1 to here. Let me just do this very, very quickly. I think I've got it on the screens. So we'll just track it really, really fast. So Jesus comes to his people, Right? Jesus comes to his people who had broken covenant and he reveals God to them. Jesus comes and he reveals God to them. He, he, he shows him who he is because, come on, what do we say? Because he's faithful. Because even though they were covenantly unfaithful, he's still a faithful God. He comes then and, and, and gets rid of every wrong idea we have about who God is so that we can truly know God. Amen? We tracking together? He shows us who God really is. And then Jesus fully provides salvation, satisfaction, and sustenance for all those who the Father gives him. And then Jesus receives all of those who are drawn and granted to believe and receive and eat his flesh and be satisfied in him. Jesus receives all those who are drawn, granted, and believe and receive that, that, and, and eat him as savior, satisfier, and sustainer. That's the track that John is laying out for us. This is the goodness of God at work in the earth. That regardless of our rejection of him, listen to me, He still redeemed a people. Despite the fact that we rebel, despite the fact that we fight back, despite the fact that we we often, listen to me, want nothing to do with him prior to our conversion, he is still at work to save a people. To draw us, to woo us, to, to bring us to himself. And it's, it breaks my heart, if I'm gonna be totally honest, that there are Christians that hear this teaching and go, that's an evil God. Because all I hear is a God who is faithful and good and kind. But is our eye evil because he's good? Because I somehow want to, 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 to say that I earned where I'm at. I decided, I picked it, I'm here, they're there because they didn't, they're bad, I'm good. Or do we wanna say we're all bad and he's good? And I'll close with with this verse from from Luke. I've been doing my best as we study through John to just stay in John, but I think this is one of those passages that is helpful to go to some other places. This is Luke chapter 18, verse, verse nine. Jesus tells another parable. And I don't have time to say this, but I'm gonna say it anyways. I personally... Super open-handed issue. By the way, if you're interested in learning more about our open-handed and closed-handed issues, I do need to say this. The first Wednesday in February, we're having our, what we call Belong, which is our, our Belong class, which is our membership class, which if you wanna learn more about, we get in, in, in deep about where we, what we discuss and what we divide over, that is a great class for you to go to, whether you're a member or not. Maybe, you're, maybe you just need kind of a refresher on some of this stuff. You're like, hey, wait a second. I thought we all were, you know, disagreed with Mark. Um... <laughs> come and hang out. Come and come and learn. It's two two Wednesday nights, gather together, we go over all kinds of amazing stuff, the history of the church, and it's it's a great opportunity for you to learn more about who Sozo is. Um, another hugely open handed issue. I don't believe Jesus made up the parables. I think they all really happened. Because I don't think God needs to make stuff up. <laughs> I think Jesus knew everything and he was like, Oh, I'll tell you a story. And so I say that because I, I don't want us to graph this story. These were real people, in my opinion, really happened. John, or sorry, Luke chapter 18, Luke chapter 18, verse nine, it says, says this. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Here's the story, verse 10. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, which we hear Pharisee and we put all sorts of negative connotations. Essentially, it's like a Christian, Truth is like a leader in the church. Billy Graham. I mean, that that's like that's what they would have heard at the time. Like the good, righteous guy, the Pharisee. And the other, a tax collector, which no, means about the same thing as it means now. We don't like, they didn't like them back then. We don't like them today. We're good. We don't have to, we don't have to clarify that one. So a, a religious leader and a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus: God, I thank you. That I am like not like other men, extortioners, unjust, idolaters, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beating his breast, saying, "God, be merciful." To me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. I say that to end here. I believe there is a significant and powerful difference between praying a prayer, Jesus, I receive you as my Savior. And Jesus, please save me. And I would say we need to be a people who cries out for salvation to God, not taking Jesus amongst a plethora of other options. Stand to our feet. Before we move into our response, I, I, I want to say this. We, we've got some stuff happening after service, and I get that as far as presenting the classes that we're going to be teaching. If, if you've got questions about this, if, if, if you want to discuss this, because again, this is an area where we can disagree. Uh, I'll be over at guest services for as long as there are people that want to ask questions and talk about this and, and get clarity on anything that I might have said. I, I, I tried to make you laugh so that you, you didn't hate me the whole time. <laughs> But if we, want, if we want to discuss, I, I will be over at the guest services uh, over there at the table after service. So please make your way there if you, if you need to, to have a discussion about some of this. Please, do, here, here's the thing. We can say we don't divide over, but that means we have to not divide over this. Amen. The leadership can't make us not divide over this. Um, this isn't an every Sunday message. I, I, don't, I don't go looking for these texts. It is, this is the whole reason I picked John, right? No, that's, that's, not, that's not the way this works. We, we study through books of the Bible and when we hit these sort of texts, we have to deal with these sort of issues. But as we move forward, here's what I want to call us to as we respond. I want to I call us to crying out to God for his goodness to be revealed to us. Regardless of where you are in, in life, regardless of where you are in your current journey, we all could do with seeing God clearer in the area of his goodness, amen? So as we... As we respond now, as we choose to to take what we've heard and allow it to actually do some work in our heart, I wanna ask you to take some time as as we prepare to sing, to take some time to to meditate upon what you've heard. If you disagree with my interpretation, here's what I'm asking you, just wrestle with the text. Don't, Don't get mad at me, wrestle with the text. If you agree with everything I said, you got problems. Let's, let's, let's dive into the text. Let's look at what the text actually says. Let's ask God to give us clarity where we need clarity. Correction where we need correction. But listen, if, if you're here... And you would be honest and say, man, I have rejected God. I've rejected Jesus. I've rejected all these things. But maybe in the midst of what I was saying this morning, maybe something began to stir in your heart. I'm here to tell you, I believe that's the evidence of you being given to Jesus. That's That's the experience of being drawn to him. That's the gift granted to you to repent and believe. And, and, and I know I referenced it earlier, but that, that's as simple as it is. Repent and believe. Those are fancy Bible words, but here's all it means. Repentance is simply admitting and abandoning the sinfulness that's in your life, which if you're gonna be honest with yourself and with God is killing you on the inside. And we abandon, we admit that and we abandon. We don't try to hide it. We don't try to pretend that we're better than we are. We don't try to make ourselves out to be worse than we are. We just simply admit the reality of our current state. We abandon, we let that go. We stop looking to it for, for salvation, for sustenance, for, for saving grace, for, for our identity, for our happiness. For Just let it go. But letting go isn't enough. The Bible says we also have to believe, we have to have faith, we have to put all of our trust and all of our hope in Jesus. It's the, 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 the Christian life is not about denial, it's about acceptance about letting go yes but it's about receiving from jesus all that he is for us it's about finding him to be better than everything else so if you're here and that's you if that stirring is happening in your heart listen i don't care whether you walked in here calling yourself a christian or not if you've never done that thing repent and believe then i can give you no assurance that you are saved so i'm asking you to do that here today and if you are doing that, we're gonna have a group of people. There's this lit area back behind the chairs over here. We've we've chosen that area to try to give people privacy. There's gonna be people there in a few minutes that would love to stand with you and pray with you. They don't have magic words. We're not asking you to repeat a prayer after us. We're not asking you to pick Jesus. Well, we're asking you out of, the, out of the overflow and the abundance of your own heart and the work that the Spirit is doing in your life to cry out to him for salvation. But we would love to help you through that process. We'd love to welcome you into the family. Also, if you're here and you would say, no, you know you have repented, you have believed, maybe some of that mindset, and I don't know who I'm talking to this morning, but I feel like there are some, if you're gonna be honest with yourself, that have fallen into that prayer like the Pharisee would say. God, I'm glad I'm not like other sinful people. Listen, I rejoice in the fact that God has delivered me from sin. That is a good thing to rejoice in, amen? Amen. But I am what I am of the grace of God, not because I am who I am, because I made myself that way. So if you're here and you would be honest with yourself with God and say, man, some pride has snuck into my heart in this area of my conversion of my salvation, I'm gonna ask you to not only repent to Jesus, but I'm gonna challenge you to make your way over and confess that to somebody else as well. To stand with somebody and say, hey, will you pray for me? This is, this is not This is not the work of the Spirit in my life. Repent of that and ask God to purge that from your heart and from your life. And we're gonna respond one other way as well. We're gonna partake in communion. We do this every time we gather together as the people of God to remember the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus to do that thing that Jesus calls us to do, to eat his body and drink his blood. Yes, it's bread and yes, it's juice, but it's a reminder, come on, it's an act of faith. This is where our salvation, this is where our sustaining, this is what satisfies us his broken body, come on, his shed blood. We take by method known as teaching. The black tables all have uh, bread and juice and also gluten-free wafers. The white table to my left, your right, is fully gluten-free, having only the wafers there. These tables are open to all who've put their faith in Jesus. If you've repented and believed the gospel, we welcome you to take communion with us. If you have not, we would ask that you would abstain until such a time as you have. I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna respond. Holy Spirit, I thank you this morning. God, thank you that you are at work in the midst of this body. Thank you that you are are drawing people to Jesus. God, thank you for your goodness and your graciousness. Holy Spirit, we ask that you have your way in this moment. Correct the way we see you. Fix our eyes upon you. In Jesus' name, church, let's respond to the Lord.